Let's go ahead and get into the teaching of God's Word. We're looking at Revelation chapter 15. Only eight verses in this chapter. I titled it, The Sign of the Seven Angels. And we find in Revelation chapter 15 that John continues sharing his heavenly visions concerning the coming judgments of God. And at this point, John is shown things that will take place near the end of the Great Tribulation. And here in chapter 15, John is given a third sign. And so we follow this through in Scripture. In Revelation 12, we were told of the first sign, the first sign being a woman who represented the nation of Israel as John saw this woman, Revelation 12, 1, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. And so it speaks about a male child. It speaks about Satan attacking the woman. And we know that the 12 stars, the woman representing the nation of Israel, the male child that is born to the nation, uh, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is caught up into the heavenly realms, We learned about that in Revelation chapter 12. That was the first sign. The second sign revealed Satan as the fiery red dragon and his coming control over the empires of the world. In Revelation 12, again, we learn of this, and it says, Revelation 12, 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. And so we read through this passage, it plainly tells us that this dragon is Satan of old, the devil. And in fact, it uses both titles for the fiery red dragon. He is the devil, he is Satan. So we don't have to even think about, I wonder what this represents or what that fiery red dragon represents. The Bible tells us it's the devil, it is Satan. Here in chapter 15 and 16, we have the final sign given to John, the sign of the seven angels in Revelation 15. I broke it into two parts, a great and marvelous sign, verses 1 through 4, and the temple of heaven, verses 5 through 8. I want to go ahead and read verses 1 through 4 and then open us in prayer. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. And along with opening in prayer for the teaching of God's word, I'd also like to ask the Lord to bless the offerings and the gifts that are given here at our church for the work of the ministry. And those gifts come in a variety of ways. Uh, Through those who worship here, there's an agape box in the back. Those who worship with us through social media or perhaps through WLGS radio, you can find out information of giving to our church at cclv.org. And I just want to throw that in. It's so easy to forget, but it's so important. I I got the notice from Kevin this week. He walked into my office and he sat down and he said, it's about money. Basically, he's saying, Pastor John, quit spending money. Because we have been spending money and the Lord has blessed us to be able to do this. Uh, Working on the building. Uh, New bathrooms, remodels downstairs, buying stuff for the grounds, a new camera system, video system for the church, portable baptistry that uh, 
surprise, surprise, shipping was over $300. That shocked me. But it's here, and praise God, we're going to use it. So I got the warning. Slow down, Pastor John. I like making the property beautiful for the Lord, fixing up the building, uh, working with the skills that the Lord has given me with my hands, but also to, as it is my desire, to prepare this place for the next generation of worshipers who will worship here. And I shared with you many years ago when this became a Calvary Chapel in 1992, it was a church that had closed its doors for over two years. When Calvary Chapel acquired the property, there were holes in the roof. There was six inches of water standing in the basement. In fact, one of the guys was up on the roof and uh, he fell through. Fortunately, he only made it through the bottom side and he landed on the, uh, the rafters and didn't come all the way through to the floor. But uh, we've come a long way. We've come so far that we need to remodel the work that has been done in the past because now it's outdated. And so the Lord has blessed us to accomplish a lot. There's more to be done. Just pray that God would continue to bless this fellowship for his glory. And let's, let's ask the Lord for that even now. First and foremost, Lord, we thank you for this place you've given us to worship. Since 1992, and Lord, if you would tarry, if we are here in December of uh, 2022, it will be 30 years that you have allowed us to be together as a church. And that's amazing, Lord. We thank you for it. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless this fellowship. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the gifts given here, that they would be used for your glory. And we do pray, Lord, that there will be a next generation of worshipers who worship in this place and that they will not have to deal with the needed maintenance of the building that we had to deal with when we first came here, when we were in our 30s and 20s, when we were much younger. Lord, that we would be able to pass on this ministry to a new generation of worshipers, that they, Lord, can concentrate on the work of the ministry that would glorify you in this community and beyond this community. We thank you, Lord, for our worshipers that you have given us. Those, Lord, who join us in worship through video, one all the way from India, who is faithful to support this ministry through watching the videos and being part of our fellowship. And what a joy that is. And we, Lord, think of the great time change and the difference, and yet they join us. And we are grateful, Lord. For those who have joined us in the past from Mexico, it's just amazing to me, Lord, that you allow us to have such a reach. Continue to bless this place. The gifts given here, Lord, may you use them for your glory and give us wisdom as well. And we ask today, Lord, that you'd bless now the teaching of your word, that we'd have a greater understanding of the prophesied events that are yet to come, but we feel, Lord, that are nearer, and we know, Lord, are nearer than when we first believed. So, Father, bless us now as we look into your word. Again, I ask as I began this service, encourage our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we get into Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. We have a great and marvelous sign. As John said in verse 1, I saw a Another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Just as the opening of the seventh seal gives way to the seven trumpets, so now the sounding of the seventh trumpet gives way to the seven bowl judgments of God. And regarding the seventh trumpet, we find in Revelation 10:7. John had previously wrote, In the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be finished. Therefore, contained what I would describe as this long trumpet blast, 
we have the seven last plagues of the wrath of God. John said to us, in these plagues, God's wrath will be complete. In our world today, I I just consider that there are three main perspectives of God and his coming wrath. There are those who are unbelievers, those who do not believe that God is. Remember, in our believe, receive, grow, and go, we have the very first point in Hebrews 11:6 that you have to believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We have to believe that God is, but there are those in our world today that do not believe that God is. And they are either obviously or purposely ignorant of God who created them, or they have been deceived by this world, deceived of his forthcoming wrath. So there are those that just simply do not believe. There are the fence sitters. There are those who sit on the fence. They have a knowledge of God. They may believe that God is, but they have a distorted view of God. His coming wrath as well included in that distorted view. Therefore, they do not rightly honor God or do they have a full understanding of God's gift of love that comes through his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we had the non-elected governor of the state of New York. She was preaching a message in a church and she was preaching. She was talking to this church in New York, asking the congregants there to be her apostles. To go forth and spread the, the message of the vaccination. Clearly, this fence-sitter has a Messiah complex for one, but a distorted view of the very gospel of God. And there's one thing as a pastor, one thing that I worry most about is that I would not only have a, a wrong view of Scripture, but proclaim something that is wrong teach the body of Christ something that is not correct. I worry more about that, I believe, than anything else. When I teach the word of God, I do my best to make sure I get it right. I don't want to have a distorted view. And I'll tell you in the process, I've been teaching here for quite a while, since 1999. Oh, to have that youth of 1999 when I was just about to turn 40 years old. Those were the days. (laughs) But over the years, I've gained a greater understanding of God's word. So perhaps I, I teach with a little better knowledge now, but even back then I wanted to make sure I would get it right and I would study, I would read other writers of scripture that I would understand in the commentaries and such, but to gain a greater understanding of the word of God. I want to make sure I get it right. The third group, the believers who believe that God is and that they have received Jesus Christ as their savior. You notice how well I did that? Believe and receive. That's necessary to believe that God is and to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and savior of our lives. They see these last seven bold judgments as great and marvelous because in them, God carries out his final judgments, which will bring about the millennial reign of Christ. And sometimes, you know, at the end of the book of Revelation, we are going to find it. And sometimes we forget to do it. But the Bible closes with the church saying, Lord, come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And sometimes we just need to continually pray, Lord, come. And in the process of the Lord's coming, God will pour out his wrath upon this world. It is not because he is cruel or unjust, because he is a righteous and just God. We learn in Romans 3, verses 21 through 26, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, 
There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In verse 25 and 26, it continues, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at this present time so as to be just and to be the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. God is both just and he is also the justifier of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. It is because God in his righteousness when judging sin, could not let sin not be dealt with. It had to be dealt with. But God in his grace and in his mercy sent his only begotten son to pay the price of our sins that we, through faith in Jesus, might become part of the family of God. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ, the perfect man, came from heaven. He lived his life perfectly on this earth. And he bore our sins upon the cross. He died, was buried, he rose again from the grave. And everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will find salvation. God is just. God is the justifier. God is just because his only begotten son, Jesus, has paid the price of our sin. Sin has been dealt with through Jesus Christ. But God is the justifier because he declares righteous those who put their faith in Jesus. In verse 2, it tells us, Then I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass and having harps of God. When John first saw the sea of glass in Revelation chapter four, verse six, fire was not mentioned. It didn't mention any occupants there on the sea of glass. But now we find both fire and occupants being mentioned standing there on the sea of glass, those who had endured the tribulation period, those who are victorious because they put their trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Revelation 14, 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandment of God and the faith of Jesus. The patience of the saints, keeping the commandments of God, commandments, plural, and the faith of Jesus. As it is now, so it will be during the tribulation period. Those who are saved must believe that God is and must receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their lives. The Bible tells us in John 3, verses 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We have to look to Jesus. There, as Jesus referred back to the serpent in the wilderness, as Moses lifted up the serpent of brass there in the wilderness, when the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord and the Lord had sent venomous snakes into the camp. People were bitten and they were dying. And the cure came in a very odd way. God told Moses to make a fiery serpent of brass to represent the snakes that were actually killing the people there of the nation of Israel to set the brass serpent on a pole and simply said, whoever looks to the brass serpent will be healed. Now I just get the idea. I have this image there of the children of Israel in the wilderness 
thinking, this is ridiculous. They've been snake bitten. They're dying. And they're told, all you have to do is look at the brass serpent on the pole and you'll be made whole. And I can just picture people refusing to look and others looking and being healed. Others refusing to look and dying. The same is true with Jesus Christ. As it was in Moses' day, people had to look to that serpent on the pole. As it is in our day, we have to look to Christ on the cross. And people think, that's ridiculous. What do you mean? Just look to Jesus and you'll be made whole? Yeah, that's what the Bible tells us. That's all you have to do. And there are those today that think, this is crazy. That can't be right. Isn't there some good work that I can do? No, absolutely not. It's all the work of Jesus. It's always been about Jesus, and it always will be about Jesus. We find that fire was there mingled there on the sea of glass, and fire can be seen as a purifier, just as the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. As in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, it tells us, In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, if need be, if you have been grieved by various trials, and Lord knows we've been grieved by some trials over the last year and a half, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fire can be a purifier, just as the blood of Jesus Christ, as 1 John 1.9 tells us, purifies us, cleanses us from all sin. Those on the sea of glass, they stand victorious because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And nevertheless, their faith will come at a very high cost. In this event, it tells us it comes with their very lives. In Revelation 24, it tells us, I saw the souls those who have been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So talking about those who, during the millennial reign of Christ, they refused the mark of the beast. And they do so at the very cost of their lives. The occupants there on the sea of glass each have a harp of God, it tells us. I like that. It tells us that, I don't know, I, I hope my harp has four strings. I know I've been playing acoustic for like a year and a half now, but I'm a bass player. And uh, in fact, I hope when I get to heaven, I not only have this great four-string harp, I don't have a crushed finger that I have to work around when playing guitar anymore and that my fingers will work better than they ever have. It's like I can slap, I can pop the strings, I can hammer them like never before. But I'm glad that instruments in heaven, there's a part of the church of Jesus Christ here in our country that think that instruments are of the devil. And they connect it back to an event in the book of Genesis. And so when they worship, they just sing songs without the band because there is no band. That's of the devil. We get to the book of Revelation. They have instruments. John hears them playing 144,000. He claims in Revelation chapter 14 as the first fruits of the redeemed of Israel but here in chapter 15, we learn that there is a great host of believers near the sea of glass that is mingled with fire. And I believe that this mixture of both Jews and Gentiles, those who are being saved during the tribulation period. And I love it. It's apparent that we'll have a lot of worship. There'll be instruments. We'll get to sing in heaven and it will be glorious. In verses three and four, it tells us of these songs. They sang the song of Moses, verse 3, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All 
the nations will come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. So it tells us of two songs. The song of Moses, the servant of God. Moses called the servant of God. And it speaks about the songs sung by Israel as they came out of the, they were delivered out of Egypt. And as they came into the promised land, we have two different song sets sung by the children of Israel, two different generations worshiping in Exodus 15. You can look at Exodus 15 verses 1 through 18, but I'm only going to read two verses from there. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord, spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The beginning of the song that the children of Israel sang after they came out of Egypt, after 400 years of captivity. And then as they came into the promised land, they were given this song by Moses. Remember, Moses didn't enter in to the promised land, but Moses gave them this song to sing. Deuteronomy 32, the whole song is found in uh, Deuteronomy 31, verse 30, all the way through 32:33. But I'm only going to read a few verses of the song. In verse 1 it says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak and hear. O earth, the words of my mouth. In verses 3 and 4, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth, without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Also, they sang the song of the Lamb. That is found in Revelation 5, verses 9 through 13. Again, well, I'll go ahead and, and read the whole thing for you. Revelation 5, 9 through 13, it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. In verse 12 it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. They sang the song of the Lamb. They sang the song of Moses. Both songs recognized God's righteousness, his justice, and the deliverance of his people. Great and marvelous, they said, are your works. Lord God Almighty, great and marvelous. Found both in verses 1 and 3. And this refers to the judgment of God. Although God has done many great and marvelous things, the greatest of these is seen through the giving of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus said, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The stone which the builders rejected, referring to Jesus Christ as that stone. The builders, referring to the religious leaders in Jerusalem who rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Yet, the Bible tells us that this was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our sight. His ways are just and true. He's called the King of the Saints. God is seen as Great and marvelous because his ways are just and true. In the song of Moses in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 32, he said, He is our rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. The God of truth without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. 
Wouldn't you love to have a court system here in the United States where we could say that there were judges, whether male or female, that they, they were just, true, without any injustice, that all their decisions were right and upright? That would be great if we lived in a perfect world. We do not. May I remind you, we do not live in a perfect world. But we do have a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. And his work is perfect. His ways are just. He is a God of truth, without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And they ask, who will not fear you? The answer is, ultimately, all will fear God. For believers, this speaks about a reverential fear of God. But get this, I don't want us to just think that we revere God and we should not take serious the consequence of our sins. We know that Jesus Christ has paid the price of our sin. And because he has paid the price of our sin, we are to walk in fellowship with him. We do so to walk in ways that honor Christ. Concerning believers in Psalm 89.7, it tells us, God is greatly to be feared among the assembly of the saints, to be held in reverence by all those around him. God is greatly to be feared, to be held in reverence. It talks about that reverential fear that we have as believers. But to the unbelievers, they will one day realize when God judges the whole world, when they stand before the great white throne judgment of God, they will one day realize Hebrews 10.31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Since the Lord God Almighty is great and marvelous, just and true, all will glorify his name. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. At the name of Jesus. And the question is, will you bow today while you are living upon this earth? Or will you bow one day when you stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment? Those who bow today, who recognize Christ as Savior today, they will come into fellowship with Christ and find salvation. But those who wait to bow at the great white throne judgment, they will not be kept from the wrath to come. And that will be a bitter day indeed. The Bible tells us in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Of the many songs that will be sung in heaven, it's my prayer that we would sing the song of the redeemed. And in fact, if we are standing in faith in Jesus Christ, that is definitely one of the songs that we will sing. We get into verses 5 through 8. I'll read verses 5 through 8 for the context. But we're taken again into the temple of heaven. It tells us, after these things, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chest girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. After these things, John looked again. And behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And there he sees these seven angels having the seven plagues given to them 
the seven last plagues of God. This phrase, the tabernacle of the testimony, it's only found six times in Scripture, five times. It refers to the tabernacle that Moses constructed there in the wilderness, also known as the tent of meeting. Within the tabernacle, there in the holy place was the menorah, the the light of the tabernacle itself, the table of showbread where the 12 loaves were placed there weekly by the priest, and the um, altar of incense that was burned before the Lord day and night. And there in the Holy of Holies, we find the Ark of the Covenant that contained the copy of the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses by the Lord, a pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded. The lid of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. It's the covering, the kafar, the covering that was set upon the mercy seat with the two golden cherubim with their wings touching each other there over the mercy seat. The Holy of Holies was only allowed to be accessed once a year on the Day of Atonement by the high priest, and he could only enter by the sprinkling of the blood of the sacrifice. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come with a greater sprinkling, as the Bible tells us in Hebrews 8.5, that these things served as a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, God said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Why was John so easily able to recognize the tabernacle and the temple of God? Because he had seen a copy of it here on earth in the temple that was there in Jerusalem. Again, in Hebrews 9, verses 23 through 28, it says, Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of these things in the heavens should be purified with these things, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. Talking about the daily and monthly sacrifices or annual sacrifices there with the temple or tabernacle on the earth, But in heaven, they were purified with better sacrifices from these. Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the priest entered the most holy place every year with the blood of another, And as I said, talking about the high priest coming in annually on the Day of Atonement, we pick up in Hebrews 9.26. But Jesus then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once and after this to judgment, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And I pray that we are those who eagerly wait for Christ and his appearing. Coming out of the temple, John sees seven angels having the seven last plagues of God. And with these plagues, the wrath of God will be made complete. The angels attire Their clothing, perhaps reminding us of the attire of the priest of the temple of old here on earth. Perhaps their attire speaks about the purity of the coming judgments of God as well. In Daniel 10, verse 5, Daniel wrote, he said, I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold. And here these angels come out with these being girded by gold, these golden bands around them. Many feel that the certain man in Daniel's prophecy of Daniel 10 was Gabriel. Others think it was Jesus Christ. But here we find these angels come out with a very similar attirement. 
Then one of the cherubs, one of the four living creatures that stands before the throne of God day and night came to the seven angels and gave the seven angels these last vials filled with the wrath of God, the bold judgments of God. In Psalm 75, verse 8, it says, In the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, and it's fully mixed. He pours it out. Surely it's dregs. Shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down? Jeremiah 25:15 says, And thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, Take this wine, cup of fury, from my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. Now some have asked, Is God's wrath truly righteous and just? Is it fair for God to judge the whole world? Well, we have to remember, while Israel was in Egypt for 400 years, God was allowing the iniquity of the Amorites to come to completion. In fact, he allowed over 400 years to pass before he brought judgment upon them. And even now, God is allowing time before he brings judgment upon this world. But Jesus, who will one day bring judgment upon this world, he now offers salvation to all who believe and receive. To believe that God is and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. As Paul wrote in Romans 2, verses 4 through 9, he says, Or do you not despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, his long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance to the hardness and the impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In Hebrews 2, 6, it says, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patience, continuance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality and those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Plainly, the Bible tells us if we are not willing to come to repentance at the feet of Jesus, to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we must prepare ourselves for the coming judgment of God. At that time, as an unbeliever, when God judges this world, ultimately all will confess that God's judgments are true and righteous altogether. Yet sadly, those who have to wait until the end, the unbelievers who deny salvation of Jesus Christ and go against the very word of God, though they will bow down and worship before God, it will be too late for salvation to come to them. It may be that we would right now let the goodness, the forbearance, the long-suffering of God lead us to repentance. In verse 8, this verse is something just to contemplate. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. We know that the smoke that fills the temple of God is known to us in Scripture as the Shekinah glory of God. It filled the temple of the tabernacle here on earth. In Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, when the tabernacle was dedicated, the tabernacle that Moses had, God had Moses construct, it tells us, Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, that a cloud covered the temple of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, that Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't even go in. When the temple then was built and Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings, 
8, verses 10 and 11, a very similar thing occurred. It came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house. And once again, the glory of the Lord fills the temple and no one's allowed to have access. Some believe that God does not allow anyone to enter the temple because his heart is grieved because of the judgments that will now come against this sin-filled world. We know that the Lord's heart can be grieved. The Bible tells us in Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. At that time, the Lord saw Noah and gave grace to Noah and his family, and he spared Noah and his family and the animals there on the ark. Whatever the reason is behind God's smoke-filled temple, we do know this about the Lord. In 2 Peter 3.9, it tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises toward us, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We pray as the church, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. But each day that the Lord delays his coming, it is because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And although God's wrath will be great, remember this, that his mercy and his grace is greater. Truly, God is just and true. Yet his righteousness, because he is righteous, he will one day judge the sin-filled world. God is also gracious and merciful in which he According to Romans 5.8, he demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At this time, the choice is ours. Either to accept Jesus and the gift of salvation through faith in his name or one day stand and face the coming wrath of God. And the way that we do this, we understand here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa and we can stand together. As we go through our church motto, it's not only a motto for a church, but it's a pathway of really understanding some of the basics of our faith. The necessity of believing in God, receiving Jesus Christ, growing in our faith, and going and telling others about Jesus. So we're going to go ahead and rehearse this, our believe, receive, grow, and go, and then we'll close in prayer and close in a song of worship. So the belief, and we say together, Hebrews 11:6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. It begins with believing that God is, that God exists in our world today. Secondly, we have to receive. We say together, Romans 5:17 For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ Romans 5:17 Not just believing in God there's a lot of people who believe that God is but they have not yet received Jesus Christ as their savior both have to take place in order to be saved. Once saved, we have to grow in our faith. We say together, 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. 2 Peter 3.18 And just keep growing in your faith. Keep learning daily. And the Lord... Man, he'll do so much for those who are willing to just read his word, to study the word of God. I pray that we are those who do that.
And finally, we need to go. We say together, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. So maybe we go differently today, but we are still to go. And as we go, the Lord has promised, I'm with you. And so let's take courage to share our faith in Jesus Christ with others. If you are here today and you have questions regarding faith, would like prayer, please seek out myself or Pastor Kevin. Also, if you're listening through social media, through WLGS Radio, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. And the rest of the announcements I've already given to you before the message. So let's go ahead and close out in prayer. I'm also going to pray for uh, the meal that is prepared downstairs. Maybe it's not all together yet, but once uh, we get the thumbs up, we can get in line and have lunch together today. Remember, if you'd like to be baptized next week, please talk to myself, Pastor Kevin. Let's close in prayer as the worship team comes. Father, we thank you for this, the teaching of your word today. Lord, it's a glimpse of the heaven's glory. And Lord, also we get a glimpse of your heart. Judgment is coming. And you foretell of this coming judgment, something, Lord, that is still yet to come upon this earth. And when it comes, Lord, you shut out all who is in heaven. Your Shekinah glory fills the temple. No one's allowed in. Lord, we read from Genesis chapter 6 that your heart is grieved. We read from the New Testament as well of the grieving of the Holy Spirit. Lord, judgment will come upon this earth one day. I pray, Lord, that we as your church are those who not only believe, receive, grow, and go, but, Lord, that we would live Christ before others as we go, wherever we go, whether at work, at home, at school, at play, whatever we might be doing, Lord, that people will know that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we stand in your truth, that we are redeemed because we've been made whiter than snow by the blood of Jesus Christ. We give you praise this day in the name of Jesus. Amen.